That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. whole lot of other things indeed. Welcome everybody to another episode of this show. It is all about you. Thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, join me for what hopefully will be a really interesting and connected hour talking about uh, about things that take us beyond the surface and maybe what we pay attention to on most days. And uh, I'm excited as always to have you. Uh, if you're listening live, thank you so much for doing so. You can also catch this as a podcast from wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to it at any time, and I appreciate you doing that, leaving a review for me. You can also find out more about me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, that has uh, episodes of this show as well as some written follow-ups and other original writing of mine as well as information about the novel that I'm pitching. You can also find me at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look at my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. Would love to hear from you, chat with you, get some ideas, some feedback, uh, whatever it is you'd like to talk about. So uh, off the bat here, I'd like to make sure I thank our sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. You can check out more about them at airsci.org, and you'll hear more about them during the, uh, during the breaks in the show today. I'll be talking a little bit about them in a couple of capacities today. And uh, I'm excited because today is going to, I'm, it's a catch-up episode, I guess you could call it. Uh, kind of give some updates on some of the conversations that I've had in previous episodes since I've moved to a one-hour format about six or seven weeks ago. So we'll catch up with uh, what those guests have been doing. And I had a couple of uh, questions come in over the last week asking some some questions about me, new listeners and, and new readers wondering a little bit more about some of the things that I do that I've mentioned on the show, but maybe haven't provided a lot of context for. So we'll get to that today too. So looking forward to sharing all of that with you. But uh, first, as always, let's start off by taking a look back at the news of the week in a segment I call What in the World is Going On? And our our first clip will be about the, of course, the January 6th hearings that are capturing everyone's attention. There's a reason why people serving in our government take an oath to the Constitution. As our founding fathers recognized, democracy is fragile. People in positions of public trust are duty-bound to defend it, to step forward when action is required. In our country, we don't swear an oath to an individual or a political party. We take our oath to defend the United States Constitution. And that oath must mean something. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. That, of course, Liz Cheney, Congresswoman from Wyoming and the vice chair of the January 6th Congressional House Committee to investigate the January 6th insurrection, speaking on Thursday night in the uh, first of what will be a handful of uh, public hearings uh, about the January 6th uh, attack. And uh, I think someday when the history books are written and look back on this tumultuous period, that quote that you just heard is going to make it into every single history book about this because what uh, Cheney was talking about there was the the bombshell news released as part of a lot of bombshells in these uh, these hearings so far that a number of her Republican colleagues had uh, asked President then President Trump for pardons on the heels of the January 6th attacks and uh, she mentioned one Representative Scott Perry from Pennsylvania but clearly there are more who sought pardons, and of course that begs the larger question as to why. Uh, Usually people who are asking for pardons uh, are usually worried that that they did something wrong that requires a pardon. That sounds crazy. And of course the the debates about the January 6th hearings have been, will this really make any difference? And only time will tell in the long run. People tend to be very decided on these things already. However, what I will say, and what's a good reminder I think, is This isn't just a bunch of innuendo and hearsay. These are statements, thousands of interviews, hours upon hours of evidence collected and documents entered into the record that are all under oath. These are all things that carry heavy penalties if people are lying or making things up. And so it begs the question that anybody who is really resisting taking a look at this uh, as really the overwhelming evidence that it sure seems to me that it is, 
asking themselves what it is that they are so afraid of. Is it just having to change one's mind? Is it maybe having been duped? Is it maybe having to take a good look at what really matters in our uh, political discussions today? What I do know is it's really interesting that uh, Liz Cheney is being held put forward as a very brave and heroic figure, which in some ways she is, but she's speaking about things that should be and have been in the past more embraced as reality about the role of politics and the role of taking oaths as a member of Congress and as Americans, that somehow we've lost track of that. I find that more sad uh, than anything else. But nevertheless, the hearings continue and more shall be revealed. So let's also uh, let's go take a look at what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, one of the reasons of the so-called slow pace is that we are not targeting, uh, we are not targeting uh, civilian civilian uh, infrastructure and areas uh, deliberately. We're only hitting military targets, and it takes time. We are not doing doing capping, bombing, or anything else uh, like that. Uh, but the progress is there. That's for sure. That is the Russian ambassador to the United Nations uh, making a statement. And I think the technical term for what he's doing there is is uh, he's full of crap, uh, I think is the technical term. Um, <laughs> clearly it's not. Uh, the, uh, the Russian offensive in, uh, in the eastern sections of Ukraine continues unabated and contrary to what the Russian ambassador said. And again, talking about evidence in front of our very eyes that we should be able to believe, plenty of evidence that the Russians are not only uh, indiscriminately hitting civilian targets in their assault in the east, but they actually don't mind doing so. Uh, entire cities, uh, Severodonetsk in particular, that has been in the news a lot, has been essentially leveled to the ground. And what the Russians are doing is taking a page from their World War II playbook, again, not surprisingly, and obliterating entire areas in artillery barrages and then sending in their troops to uh, pick up the pieces, and hopefully there aren't too many pieces. What they're running into, of course, is they're doing that, knocking down these entire areas, and instead of that making their troops uh, safer, it actually exposes them to similar fire. And what you've got is a stalemate uh, really descending uh, in the east. And it's worth noting that it's not as if the Russian military has a number of units that are not committed elsewhere that they can bring into this fight. It's really important right now that the Ukrainian army continues to get the support from the West that it has been getting, and you can make the argument that they need more, because the Russians are running out of men, equipment, uh, and logistical strength, not because they don't have those things in their country somewhere, but they aren't ready to go. Uh, it's a really important moment here, and so the, the idea that this is just going to go on and on and on and on is a bit of a misnomer, and I'd be willing to bet that Vladimir Putin, or at least the people around him, know it. All right. And uh, then something a little more cheerful. Uh, it's a pretty fun holiday coming up for one of the small countries in the world. Yeah, that is uh, a song that I found when I started looking up uh, when is Iceland's Independence Day. And as it turns out, it's this week, June 17th. Uh, our friends in Iceland, one of the world's smallest countries, but also one of the safest in the world, has the lowest crime rate, one of the highest in the happiness index around the world, uh, the one that is the most self-sufficient when it comes to uh, renewable energy. Uh, their anniversary or their, their Independence Day is on June 17th. goes back to 1940 when they used to be uh, a part of the Danish Empire. And in 1940, when Nazi Germany invaded and occupied Denmark, uh, Iceland had really nowhere to go and declared its independence. And Iceland is a place that I've spent 24 hours uh, and would like to spend a lot more time. I stopped there on a flight to, uh, to uh, England a few years ago. I actually talked about it last week with Jay Gaskell. I was on the trip out to go to D-Day, those uh, memorials. And uh, I really, really loved it. And it's, it has no indigenous trees. I don't know if people knew that. There's no indigenous trees there. It was one of the last areas on Earth to be populated uh, by human beings. And... Uh, if you've never been there, uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And they are pushing really hard for a tourism renewal coming out of COVID. And uh, there's a few interesting facts about them that I thought I would share. First of all, and this is according to the Iceland's Tourism Bureau, so we're getting it right from the source, the majority of politicians in Iceland believe in elves. Now, I don't know if that's the Lord of the Rings kind or the Keebler 
elf uh, cookie kind, uh, but they believe in elves. Beer was outlawed in Iceland until 1989, interestingly enough. Uh, and there's one other that I can't remember at the time, so I might just throw it out a little bit later. But anyway, uh, that's those. And so from that, so happy anniversary, anniversary, Independence Day. <laughs> that's anniversary of sorts. Uh, to Iceland, our friends in Iceland. Hopefully I'll be seeing you again soon. Okay. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's, let's take a step back. I, it's been a, quite a run since I came over, uh, to one hour format for this show and, and had new, found a new home at 880 Kixie in Seattle. And, and, uh, I'm taking a deep breath and kind of getting a sense of things. I've, I've been getting more used to, uh, what I've been doing, uh, you know, getting the formats down a little bit more clearly, uh, and I'm feeling good about where things are going. And I've had some fabulous guests and fantastic uh, feedback from people. And so I thought I would take a little bit of time to uh, catch people up on what's been happening and, and include some things that maybe we didn't get to in some of those episodes. And uh, you can certainly go back and, and catch any of these episodes just by uh, looking up This Show is All About You wherever you get your podcasts and, and you can catch them there. Uh, so I thought I would just go back a little and then I'll give you some info on me. My first episode that I did a few weeks ago was with my dad, uh, Ken, and I just wanted to let everybody know he continues to do well. Uh, he continues to Ken things, looking up everything um, that's possible that he's interested in. And it's really fun to watch because uh, he he was so busy as a, as a pastor during his career that he oftentimes didn't have time to sit back and just look into things and read and investigate. And so he loves to do that. He's coming up on a knee replacement surgery uh, the next month or so that... Uh, He's had one before and so sort of know what's coming, but we've been preparing as a family to to help him out with that. But I'm looking forward to him having that second knee so he can be fully bionic. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the first time we travel together and to see if he can make it through uh, the metal detectors at the airport uh, without too much trouble because of his knees. But uh, so he's doing pretty well. We still haven't found those cheese crisps that we talked about, but we're we're still hunting for them. So that's what's happening with him. Uh, also had Julia Cannell, the executive director of Airway Science for Kids, the sponsor of the show on a few weeks ago. And uh, Airway Science for Kids is just really going after it. They've started their summer programs uh, down in Portland as of this week and uh, will be uh, traveling to Wisconsin later in the summer for the big Oshkosh Air Show, one of the biggest air shows in the world, to be talking about their programs and how they're bringing uh, life and career pathways in aviation and aerospace to uh, underserved youth. Uh, not just in the Portland area, but increasingly in more and more places. And they are also in the process of building partnerships with organizations and companies that I can guarantee you everybody on this listening to the show has heard of before. And so looking forward to seeing how that uh, plays out. Uh, one of my other guests, uh, Kevin Simpson, uh, who published a book, Soccer in the Swastika, came on to talk uh, about that whole process and what that meant to him. And, and we were friends going back a number of years and uh, one of the things that we didn't get to talk about when he was on the show uh, were just the the accounts that he was able to collect of Holocaust survivors who, in a lot of ways, because they were able to continue to play soccer wherever they were, uh, that was something that was a major part of how they were able to survive their ordeal. And we didn't have enough time to talk about soccer as this unifying force, almost as a global language. It is the most popular sport in the world, uh, watched by more people in more places than anything else. And uh, in a lot of ways, it is a reflection of a lot of the challenges, the ideas, the conflicts, and the things that unite people around the world. And uh, with the World Cup in Qatar coming up uh, later this year, it's just another reminder of, uh, in a time of a lot of disunity, uh, that sport is one of the things that can actually bring us together. Uh, and sometimes kind of wipes away those those divides as we cheer on our team uh, versus another team. Uh, also, in a really important update, uh, Maria Bartlow and her daughter, Monica Franks, came out a few weeks ago looking for a, a kidney donation uh, for Odin, uh, Maria's son and Monica's brother. And I uh, wanted to give you an update on that. That search continues, and uh, I, I submitted an application and, and questionnaire to uh, donate kidneys, and that process is moving forward. I have a couple of uh, doctor visits that I need to make before anything can be decided upon, uh, but I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that uh, it is it is something that anybody can be screened to do this, 
And to be a living donor for a kidney is uh, it's a it's a thorough process, but it's not nearly as daunting or frightening or concerning as I expected it to be. And uh, it is a it's it's quite an incredible gift uh, that you might be able to give. And I can't think of a better way to feel perhaps like you've lived a worthwhile life than to know that if you do donate an organ, you're helping save somebody else's lives and improve the lives of all the people who love them. So I will keep everybody updated uh, on what is happening there. And uh, lastly, my other two guests, Mark Frazier Sr., who is a retired police officer from down in Portland. Uh, I've been thinking about him a lot lately uh, in the aftermath of the Uvalde shooting in particular and, uh, and what he continued to, continues to say that having difficult conversations and not necessarily just entrenching in our own point of view may be the key to finding some really sensible solutions to some of these problems. Uh, as a black man, he, uh, he knows, a, and as a police officer, he knows a lot about gun violence. He's seen a lot about it. And his ideas from that episode were really sensible about how to approach it. And so I've been thinking that about that a lot lately. And then finally, uh, last week, Jay Gaskell was on the show. We were talking about our trip out to D-Day for the 75th uh, commemorations of the invasion three years ago. And uh, I forgot to tell, uh, tell a story that we didn't, uh, didn't get to about Norwood Thomas. Our last day there, we, uh, we were at a, at the Pegasus bridge museum, which was a, a bridge that, uh, the British took, uh, in the first few hours of D-Day. That was a really important part of the victory that day. There's a museum there in Normandy and we were filming there the last day. It was the day after, uh, Omaha beach. And we thought, well, we'll just get a few hours on our way out. And we ended up actually running into uh, Norwood Thomas, who was in the 101st Airborne Division, uh, parachuted into uh, Utah Beach, actually, in uh, on D-Day, and uh, was featured in the book and television series Band of Brothers, uh, the HBO series. And there he was, and was very gracious with his time. And we ended up doing an interview with him for about 45 minutes as uh, he told us about his experience and what it was like and, and his life. And uh, the exciting part of that is, is not only was that just a really rewarding thing, but uh, it is one of the most watched videos about Norwood Thomas that you can find just about anywhere. And again, that'll be posted over at wordsbyjdk.com. So those are my updates there. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, um, I will give you some updates on me. And, and for some of you who are new listeners, some introductions uh, to me, the person that maybe I haven't gotten to yet. So stick around. We'll be right back on this show. Is all about you. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, and we're going to shift in today's episode uh, to make the rest of this show all about me, I guess. Uh, but, of course, uh, when we talk about connecting as, as human beings, um, some background on the people that we're connecting with can be very, very helpful. So uh, to respond to what 
uh, some new listeners uh, and readers have asked. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you some some background on me. Uh, and uh, I had a friend of mine ask uh, not all that long ago, uh, how do I do all the things that I'm doing? Because uh, this show is just is just one among many. And it all fits together, believe it or not. It's just uh, it's been interesting how I arrived at all of this. Uh, one thing I can tell everybody is that uh, I'm in a really great position in my life. Uh, and I realized this not all that long ago that everything I am doing in my life right now, I enjoy. Uh, everything I do energizes me and motivates me. Uh, and I guess that's one reason why I seem to be able to, to kind of keep my hands moving in a lot of different directions because it is really motivating and uh, renewing for me to do these things. So, so what are these things? Well, uh, first thing is, I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, I wrote a alternate history fiction novel. Uh, I finished it just a couple of years ago, at least the initial draft that I've been putting forward uh, for publication in what is, is quite a process, an educational process. Uh, but the book's a premise is essentially this, uh, that the D-Day invasion of June 6, 1944, in my story, failed. That's what makes it an alternate history uh, story. And I follow out the story two years after that, 1946, in a world where World War II is over, and the same sides won and lost. Nazi Germany still lost the war, I sort of predicted, I guess. Uh, but the Soviet Union has occupied all of Europe to win the war. In in reality, of course, uh, Allied troops landed on D-Day. American, British, Canadian, Free French forces eventually all then came ashore and slowly moved towards Germany from the west while the Soviets moved in from the east, effectively squeezing Nazi Germany in the middle. And at the end of the war, Germany was divided right down the middle. Berlin was also similarly divided up between the powers. And those eventually became sort of the the front lines, if you will, of the Cold War that lasted until 1991. So with my training as a historian and all of that, I brought that to bear a handful of years ago into fiction. It was just a new direction I wanted to take. And uh, I came up with this story and played out what this would look like and wrote a story uh, that takes place in that world where the Soviets pretty much occupy all of Europe, all the way up to the English Channel. And so uh, it focuses around a German intelligence officer who had a major role in why D-Day failed, as it turns out. He's been keeping that secret. Uh, but he has a whole great deal of resentment uh, in him about his life and his fate and his family is missing in, in Germany. And when we meet him, uh, he's given the opportunity to go back to Germany on a very important mission to find one of his contemporaries uh, with information about the Soviets. And he's promised an opportunity to look for his family if he does so. What ends up happening, of course, is a whole series of, of adventures and things like that. But what the story is really about is, is his rediscovery of himself and his, his discovery of how to better connect with other people, particularly former enemies, but also family members and that type of thing. And I've called it before an accidental autobiography. It, it, it actually reflected that, that sort of course of the main character reflected a lot of my own internal journey, really without me knowing it for a while. I guess it's not all that much of a surprise. Writers tend to write what they know. But uh, it was a very profound experience for me. I never had more fun in my life doing it. Uh, I will say I've had a lot more fun um, than uh, what the publishing process is like. Uh, that's a lot more challenging. I've been putting it out to potential agents and publishers for a couple of years now. Uh, there's a lot of rejections that come with that, and I've gotten better at, at handling those better as time goes by. Uh, they never feel really good, but uh, almost every author who's published has been has had to deal with rejections before. So that's kind of the big thing. And, and one of the reasons I got even into podcasting in the first place was to kind of help build an audience. And I built a website, wordsbyjdk.com, to do all of that. And uh, this show kind of started out as a way to supplement that effort. And then kind of took on a life of its own when I realized I enjoyed bringing all these things to bear uh, to talk uh, to people and getting that feedback and, and feeling like I was contributing something. Uh, it's really hard, particularly in a, in a divided world, uh, particularly divided country that we live in, uh, to feel like there's really anything that you can do. And uh, one of the things I've learned is that one of the most important things is to do what you can do. Uh, you know, be the things that you would like to see. Uh, elsewhere in the world to the best of your ability. And, and one of the things I wanted to do was put myself on record. Uh, whether five people were listening or five million, it something that I just wanted to have a voice that I was putting out there that hopefully was helpful for people and encourage them to trend towards the positive 
in their life, to trend towards the things that are empowering for them, and to recognize the skills and talents and the abilities they have inherent in themselves to improve their own lot in life. It doesn't take outside circumstances uh, to do that. And that led me into some other directions. Uh, one of the other things that, uh, that I work on is I'm the co-host of another podcast that I haven't mentioned on this show yet. It's called Breaking Up With Our BS. Uh, and if you look it up wherever you find your podcasts, uh, spell out BS, and <laughs> you'll find it uh, rather easily. And I host that, co-host that with uh, my friend Tawny Santabria, who is a certified human potential coach as well as a, uh, a, a family counselor. And she introduced me to, I guess, what you could call uh, presence-based uh, coaching, and a lot of the things that I just talked about, uh, I learned from doing coaching, the, the, the importance of listening to my body and taking care of my body, the importance of kind of in stressful moments, breathing into myself and, and trusting that intuition that comes out, that recognition of my own ability to take care of myself and my ability to better communicate and connect with myself and with others from that space. And it was a really fundamentally life-changing process for me that began a couple years ago. And so I encouraged Tani back then to, to maybe write a book about this or do a podcast. And she said, well, I'd be happy to do both, but seeing as you're, you're doing those two things already, can you help me out with them? And so I've been helping her with that podcast as well as write her own book to introduce this uh, to people. So I have that writing project that's going on. And connected to that, this just began a, a few months ago, uh, this whole process led to me beginning the process of becoming a certified human potential coach uh, through the Human Potential Institute and essentially, uh, you know, getting the same certification that, that Tawny has. And it just seemed like the next, the next best step for me to do. It, it was a way that brought all these things together. My main character in my book is learning about presence and, and connecting and uh, helping himself. Uh, Breaking Up With Our BS is about introducing these concepts uh, to lots of other people and showing them really how simple it is in a lot of ways once you connect to it. And so this process seemed like the best thing to do. I'm, I'm, when I'm certified, um, I plan on, on certainly working with, with individual clients as appropriate. I'm also going to be helping out Airway Science for Kids uh, in this in helping integrate uh, this type of coaching into their training and into the experience of their stakeholders with the organization in what is a really forward-thinking approach by that organization to help nonprofits be uh, to help, to really thrive and be healthy and avoid compassion fatigue uh, and burnout, which are which are so common. And human potential coaching is is really about the idea that all human beings have these capabilities hardwired into ourselves to calm ourselves down, uh, to withstand uh, sort of emotional turmoil, and to be able to connect with the safety system in our body to effectively get out of these stress zones that we can often put ourselves in uh, that really are the cause of a lot of our, of our emotional difficulties. And uh, it's a, there's a lot of science to it and just enough woo-woo uh, to keep it really interesting for me. But the science of getting into the central nervous system and, and experiencing that the body knows how to calm itself uh, if we know what levers to, to flip, I guess, uh, was really interesting and really life-changing for me, more so than anything else I had done before. And so I've been doing that uh, as well as time goes by. And so how does that all fit into to this show? Well, as I mentioned, this show uh, has, over time, has found its feet as a place where, over a course of an hour, um, conversations with people who might just be people that I know, uh, somewhere down the line, maybe a, a, a famous name or two, uh, getting past the conversations that we normally have and getting to that point of connection and openness and vulnerability, being able to share authentically, even disagree, uh, but do so in ways that are productive and recognize each other's inherent dignity and integrity and uh, value uh, to each other and to the world. These are all things that I think uh, we are sorely lacking and really do need more of. And so in the spirit of bringing all those things together and again, putting my voice out there uh, for people to hear and ho have it hopefully help, all those things together all point in the same direction. <laughs> so for me, that's probably why when I, like I said at the beginning of this uh, segment, everything feels like it reinforces the other and I'm enjoying all of that because uh, what I'm experiencing more and more is a better sense of myself and a better awareness of, of who I am and what I'm about 
what I care about, what I don't, what I believe in, what I don't. But also an increased ability to accept the fact that that may be very different uh, for the people around me. Uh, my family, my friends, uh, strangers, colleagues, you name it. And that whole process has helped me be a lot more aware of my own abilities to put things out into the world uh, that are healthy for others and that are healthy for me. And the fun part about that is I don't, I don't spend a lot of time asking anymore, um, what can I leave behind? You know, what, what can I do that is worthwhile? And I, in the conversations I've had for a long time, particularly since I started doing this show, about that is that that's a, that's a concern a lot of people have. They want to know they've lived whatever they, whatever they define as a good life or a worthwhile life, or they've, they've done something productive, they left something behind. And uh, that's a really strong uh, piece. And for me, the challenge has been I've, I moved away from, I got a PhD in history years ago, and I thought that was going to be it. And um, my life changed a lot, and I moved away from, from teaching but I thought that was going to be it for a while. And even writing uh, my novel, which is called Crella's Inferno, by the way, named after the main character, there was a part of me that looked at that as like, okay, this is a thing that I can contribute. And certainly, hopefully someday um, that does get published and I can, I'll feel really good about that. But what I'm finding is more time goes by with that process and all these other things that I've just mentioned to you that um, the things I will leave behind, I guess, for lack of a better term, and hopefully I won't be leaving them behind for a long time, but nevertheless, these things now are important to leave behind, a legacy of, of connecting with others, of uh, showing up honestly and saying what I think, saying how I feel, being vulnerable uh, with the people that I care about, being open to having my mind changed about things, being open to new experiences, uh, being open to other people's opinions. And being able to look past the things that once upon a time I used to get my, my dander up or put up my defenses against and try to move beyond that. It's a part of our overall human experience, I believe, collectively, for us each individually to continue to grow and then in the process, humanity to continue to grow, hopefully towards better futures. And I realize that in these days, that sounds really naive to, to many ears or sing-songy, or too, too much something out of Star Trek, or, or whatever. But I've realized that even if people think that, I don't care. I'd rather err on this side of that, on the positivity side of things, than on the negative. Uh, negativity is easy to run with, it's easy to find, and there's a lot of choice involved in it, I have discovered, that uh, the same situation, same issues uh, that can be really easy to choose negativity for, Positivity can be found in them as well, and it can be done without denying the reality of difficulty. So it's uh, certainly my own personal life reflects it and, and the, my larger public life uh, in a different way. But difficulties are always there. Difficulties are always encountered. Doubts creep in. Uh, difficult feelings happen. I guess what I'm going through is the process of being able to accept all those things as part of the overall experience of life and uh, embracing that part of the human condition. And so all these things that I'm doing collectively, I guess for lack of a better term, seem to really reinforce that. And man, is it really fun. And what it does do is it really highlights for me all the joys uh, that I have in so many different places about elements of life. And so when we come back from uh, second break here, I'll tell you a little bit about some of those things that uh, will also give you some insights into who I am and what I'm doing here. So come on back for some, some fun ways to wrap up the show on This Show is All About You. Stick around. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. 
Ask Me to Talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to This Show Is All About You, or as I'm jokingly calling it today, This Show Is All About Me, just for today, uh, because there are plenty of, of listeners and, and readers who are new to the show who have been wondering about uh, who it is they're listening to. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've been jumping in with guests practically every week and kind of hoping that this, you know, my own stories would come out in the process, but I'm just taking some time today to kind of fill in the, fill in the blanks for some people. And before the break, I was kind of giving you the big picture of the kind of the big weighty questions and how I, how I'm addressing them and, and working through them in my life. Figured I would uh, end the show, take this last section to talk about some of the stuff that, that builds off of that. And, and I mentioned uh, before the break that doing all those things, kind of getting, having my life move and integrate together emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, all together to push in a, in a direction uh, that is cohesive, makes sense, and above all is healthy in all those areas has really helped me gain perspective and really invest joyfully in all the good things that happen in my life, both big and small. So uh, just kind of as a way to, for you to get to know me a little bit more, I just want to go down the list of just some of those things that as a result of all those things I've been doing and continue to do, I'm enjoying more and more. Uh, people ask me oftentimes, what are your favorite things? So let's, let's kind of go down that list. Uh, it, the word wanderlust is uh, one of the driving things in, in my life. I love to discover new places. I love to travel. Uh, I'll talk about flying here in a little bit. I do love to fly, but uh, road trips of any kind, I love. Um, I'm known to just hop in the car, go car camping uh, along the coast or up in the mountains uh, whenever I can, sometimes by myself, other times with friends. Uh, but I love to do that. Being out in nature, being out in the world uh, is something that is really rejuvenating for me. And, and I find oftentimes when I really need to reset or to recalibrate, pick your term, uh, going somewhere can help me do that. Going somewhere new uh, can get me out of a kind of old thought patterns, can introduce me to new things, can help me maybe rediscover old interests uh, that I used to have. Uh, I live up in the Pacific Northwest, and one of my favorite places to go when, when I'm feeling that is I'll, I'll just take a quick drive from the Seattle area where I live over the mountains uh, to a small town named Roslyn. And Roslyn is the site where they filmed uh, what was a really popular TV show a number of years ago called Northern Exposure. It was supposed to take place in Alaska, but it was filmed over there. And the small town is where they filmed all of that. And I, I love to go over there uh, on occasion and, and just kind of walk through the streets and sit in the tavern there, the brick. And there's just something about that uh, that I enjoy. Uh, people ask me what my bucket list is for places places to go. Tops on my list currently is uh, going to Japan. I've never been to Japan. I've studied the country. I've studied its history. Uh, I love baseball and really want to go to a, a Japanese league baseball game because the Japanese love that sport as much as I do. Uh, also would like to go to Ireland. I have some family uh, history uh, heritage in Ireland and would like to go there. And plus my favorite band is a you know pretty famous Irish quartet. I'd like to go there too. Uh, Iceland that I talked about extensively at the top of the show really captured my attention for the short period of time I was there. Um, absolutely fascinated by just how different the, the place looks and feels, how healthy it is. They have the best hot dogs on the planet. You wouldn't think that. They also have the saltiest black licorice imaginable. It's like if, if you could take a salt lick and give it some licorice flavor, blend it all together and pack it into something that has the consistency of uh, hardened toothpaste, uh, you have that idea, but it's really good. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to go back uh, and explore it more, particularly see some of the volcanoes and the glaciers there. But as far as a scenic, picturesque place, I don't think I've ever been in a place more beautiful. And there is a part of me that is also drawn to Nepal, uh, to walk some of the trekking paths in Nepal. I have no desire to climb Everest, uh, but it would be kind of cool to see it. So I would like to go there. 
uh, and walk the country with the help of, uh, of some guides and just experience that. And it's one of those things that I'm not sure exactly why, but, uh, but it, does, it does call to me. And so those, those are the highest on my list. Something else that I love to do, I love to cook. Uh, cooking is one of my favorite things to do. I find it relaxing. Uh, I like to experiment sometimes with uh, dishes that I'm trying to put together. And sometimes it's out of necessity when I'm getting to the end of my budget run uh, between my paychecks. Sometimes I'm having to pull together, what can I do with this and this and this and this? And sometimes uh, the concoctions work. Other times they don't. But uh, I mentioned my dad a little bit earlier. When I was 15 years old, I came home from school one day and it turned out to be a pretty important moment in my life. And I asked my dad what was for dinner. And he said, well, whatever it is that you're cooking. And I went, well, wait a minute. Does that mean I'm, we're all on our own tonight? What's the deal? Um, we called that yo-yo. You're on your own. And uh, he said, no, you're cooking for the family. And I said, I don't know how to cook anything. And so he, it was a setup. And he said, well, then I'm going to show you how to make spaghetti, garlic, bread, and salad. And that's what we're going to have tonight. So I did. And I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed the time with him doing that. I enjoyed learning something new. And I enjoyed the success and the feeling that came from my, the rest of my family really enjoying it. And so before I went off to college, my dad challenged me. He said, by the time you go to college at 18, I'd like you to know how to make 20 things off the top of your head. And so in that process, I learned, as he taught me these things, I learned how what spices went well together. Everything from the basics of how to boil water and not scorch uh, stuff in a pan, how to broil things, how to grill. I did all of that. And man, did that have an impact on my life. Uh, when I went off to college and then later grad school and just adulthood in general, the fact that I knew how to cook, enjoyed cooking, was a way for me to really connect with friends and invest in them because they'd come over um, for something that I was making. And it always felt really good. It continues to feel really good. And so it's something that almost every day I cook something uh, for myself. I don't do a lot of uh, processed food. I don't do a lot of uh, eating out. I really do enjoy the process of making something for me, even if it turns out to be something I'm not going to make again. Uh, I just discovered another, or just rediscovered another interest uh, the other day. I love finding new bands to listen to. I'm a big fan of music and always have been, and music is another connective thing for me. I like to connect with the emotions that come with it. I like to connect with other people who appreciate the same music, who enjoy it. Going to shows and, and dancing around with people who all know the same songs and are all there for the same reasons, kind of has the same feel of a sporting event. You all have that in common. And for that time that you're there, it's the only thing that matters. That's pretty fun. Uh, I love to, I, when I discover a new band, I tend to explore them in terms of I listen to everything they've got. And uh, I read about them. I find out where they're from, what, what, uh, what their story is, because I'm always interested in those things. And then I usually end up binging on their music for a while, right? I go down that rabbit hole. And uh, then when I come out, I usually end up sharing uh, that music with other people. The last few years, um, I guess if there's been a genre that's really drawn me more than others, uh, groovy jam bands in the uh, in sort of the, the feel of the Allman Brothers or Widespread Panic, if any of you know those bands. Anything that gets me moving, right, that gets the groove going, that, uh, you know, whereby, where the, the impulse is for me to not stand still. Uh, and to enjoy and to relax. Uh, those, are, those are what I tend to gravitate towards. That and Motown. I talked about cooking. One of my favorite things to do when I'm able to do this on my own is listen to Motown while I'm cooking. There's something about combining those two things together that I thoroughly enjoy. And one of these days, I have several friends who have threatened that they're going to secretly film me doing that and then blow me up on the internet uh, with all of that. And so I, I say to all of them, bring it on. Do your worst because I'm actually, believe it or not, a really good dancer. <laughs> you don't have to take my word for it. There are plenty of people who can tell you that. I enjoy that. And honestly, life is too short not to, you know, not to enjoy music and not to dance literally or figuratively. Um, there's a lot of joy in it. And talking about, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a way for us to connect with ourselves and take some, take some initiative in our emotional and stressful states Sometimes just engaging with music, um, particularly music that makes that feels good, sounds good, can really elevate the body, elevate the mind, elevate the spirit, and can go a long way to helping our mood. Just the same way as listening to depressing music can just, you know, snowball that as well. And that's not always a bad thing. I think sometimes 
um, connecting with music that, that matches our emotional state can actually be cathartic. And music has that power too. So it's not just all about fun. Uh, it's about connectivity. And so there are a lot of bands that I really enjoy in folk and alternative and things like that where their, their music is softer or more somber or uh, deals with difficult subject matter. And I, I find those uh, really helpful as well. Uh, one thing that some people, you know, match my enthusiasm for and other people roll their eyes uh, with, uh, I grew up on Star Wars uh, in my later childlike state as an adult, uh, Marvel movies and, and such. I be, I'm, I'm very much a big consumer uh, of those stories, uh, have read the novels that go with them, have seen the movies, have watched the shows, have had the debates and discussions with uh, my friends. I've read the reviews, read the articles. Uh, I was never a big comic book guy, uh, but I've, I've followed the comic book stories to the best of my ability. Uh, but I know a lot of people who are, and certainly my appreciation for uh, comics and graphic novels as an art form has grown uh, over time. But when I was a kid, uh, Star Wars came out in 1977. I was four years old. And Luke Skywalker, I couldn't decide who was cooler, him, because he could wield the lightsaber and he got to blow up the Death Star and got a medal, or if it was Han Solo, who just kind of lived on his own terms and had a giant walking dog that uh, always helped him out, went everywhere with him, and fired a really cool crossbow. Uh, I never knew who was cooler, but uh, that fired my imagination from a really young age, and it, and it continues to. And so... Uh, Anytime, you know, we live in this glory period of Star Wars, you know, when I was a kid, never thought there would be more than three movies. Now there's nine movies, a number of television shows. Uh, it's a wonderful time to be a Star Wars fan. <laughs> there's lots of novels. And um, someday, if if somebody offered me the chance to write a Star Wars novel, I would do so in a heartbeat. And I already know what it would be. So if anybody's ever interested in knowing more about that, let me know. Or more importantly, point me in the direction of somebody <laughs> who actually might be able to uh, help me do that. So, and that reminds me, one of the things that I also enjoy, long-form storytelling of any kind, particularly uh, television serials and that type of thing, really really enjoy that. We live in, honestly, what I think is both the best time for television storytelling and the worst time. And there's not a whole lot in between. There's so much content everywhere from Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and all these other things. None of those are sponsors. Of all these different places we can go to watch shows, it's almost impossible to be able to watch them all. But as a writer myself and somebody who really embraces this idea that storytelling, even if it's fiction, can be enormously truthful, that it's not just about nonfiction stories, but fiction stories can connect us to reality just like nonfiction stories in history can. We live in a time period where uh, there's so many of those stories out there that can really engage people and really fire their imaginations. Science fiction has done that, of course, for a long time, even before Star Wars and Star Trek. It was War of the Worlds, all those types of things about possibility and threat and all those things. But uh, even other, uh, other shows that, uh, that can hit those things, political shows like Homeland, that I was really enjoying, and more currently, the series uh, Tehran on Apple TV. Uh, for All Mankind, talking about alternate histories, uh, if you haven't watched the show For All Mankind on Apple uh, Plus, it uh, takes place in a world where the Soviets landed on the moon first in 1969, not the United States. And the course of human history really changed as a result of that. And it's been really fun to watch. It's, its third season just kicked off. And uh, it's really well done. And so I find myself watching a lot of those in part because so many of these shows are about the things that I care about, about connection about challenging oneself, about growth, about the future of humanity. I enjoy all of those immensely. Uh, last couple things. Uh, baseball. I personally believe that baseball is the perfect sport when we talk about the blending together of the right brain and the left brain. It's equal parts science and art. Uh, it's equal parts athletics and relaxation. And it's, to me, I one of my favorite places to be anywhere where it happens to be is at a ballpark. I don't care if I'm watching Major League Baseball, uh, my team, the Seattle Mariners here in Seattle, or Little League. I just enjoy the game. I enjoy being around it. I enjoy the feel of it. I enjoy the sound of it. I find it very comforting, and I find it very challenging. And uh, not everybody feels that way. A lot of people think that baseball is a lot of standing around. Uh, I think it's a lot more than that. However, 
the stories and the history of baseball as part of the fabric of American life is also a fascination for me. I think sports oftentimes reflect and feed uh, the things in society that uh, define who we are and, you know, point to where we might be able to go. And for that reason, I think baseball has the, the most rich heritage uh, in this country to do that. It's probably another reason I enjoy soccer, actually, uh, for, for on the global perspective. And then last but not least, uh, I mentioned airplanes. Uh, connecting with Airway Science for Kids was a result of me really loving airplanes. It did not, it, it wasn't something that came after that. Uh, I've enjoyed airplanes since I was a kid. It was one of the first words I could actually say, besides uh, mama and dada, I guess, was airplanes. And I've loved them ever since. And uh, it's been something that to me has always represented the possibility of uh, seeing new things, experiencing new things. In a lot of ways, a personification and manifestation of all the things I've been talking about on this whole episode. Uh, the technological know-how for something that weighs you know, thousands of tons to fly safely in the air from one side of the world to the other continues to boggle my mind and to uh, challenge and inspire the imagination for me and so many others. And I get to watch Airway Science for Kids uh, bring that inspiration to others. But it also is something that I am immensely grateful for. When I always sit on an airplane, I sit by the window, and I look out down at the world below, uh, mainly because until the last hundred years or so, that was a perspective on the world that no human being had ever had before. And uh, it certainly, when you're up there, uh, it can change how you feel, can change how you see the world, uh, and it changes our connection to it. And so in a lot of ways, that uh, personifies everything that I've been talking about. Okay, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, thanks for coming along on uh, for the ride today. Next week, I'll be back with a guest, Bruce Flommer of Michael Bruce Image Consulting, a, a good friend uh, and a very, very interesting and wise individual will be my guest. So until then, uh, be sure to check out wordsbyjdk.com later this week for some posts, this episode, and, and more commentary. Uh, you can contact there, uh, me there with questions uh, if you have any. If you missed any or all of this episode or others, you can uh, find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So as thank yous go, every week I like to do this because all these people deserve thank yous. This show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is the in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. You can check them out at airside.org. The original theme music for this show is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. And special thanks for contributing to this episode and to all that went well for me this week has to go out to this list of people. Kathy Van Ecke, Elena Abbott, Julia Cannell, Jay Gaskell, Bethany Spitzer, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Mark and Yolanda Frazier, Bruce Bullard, Lucy Chung and Adriana Wisniewski, Stacey Heller, Bruce Flommer, Katie Beck and Eric Crema. Special thanks to the Tedeschi Truck Band, my newest discovery. Lorelai Murray's Chocolate Chip Cookies, the writers of Strange New Worlds and Terroron, and to the one and only Dazzlerina, I can only say holy moly. And finally, as a way to send you off into the rest of the week, I'll end with this original haiku. When all things we do sink our hearts, minds, and spirits, our worlds change this one. Chins up, everyone.